0: Welcome back to a quick timeout podcast and to our special week devoted to the Packline defense. Our second guest in the series is Coach Kevin McGuff, head women's basketball coach of the Ohio State University. Coach McGuff talks about learning from the originator of the Packline, Coach Dick Bennett, how he himself has adapted the Pack for his team over the years, and then specifics on how to address certain weaknesses in the Packline defense. Be sure to check back later this week for our final episode in the series. Coach Jim Boone will answer questions regarding the Pack That'll round out our series on the pack line defense. But for today, here is my interview with Coach Kevin McGuff. It's great to have Coach Kevin McGuff from the Ohio State University Buckeyes joining us for our series here on the pack line defense, Coach. Thanks for being willing to come on and talk some basketball with us,
1: Coach Miller. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Instead of giving us a coaching bio that people can look up on like the OSU website, can you kind of instead tell us your pack line background, maybe how you got interested in it, where you learned about it, and where it started?
1: Great question. Um, you know, I it goes way way back. I actually went to a clinic when I was a young coach and I saw Dick Bennett speak about the pack line, who Dick Bennett's the father of Tony Bennett, who's the head coach, head men's coach at Virginia. And and Dick Bennett was the coach at Wisconsin and Wisconsin Green Bay before that. And Wisconsin Stevens point before that. And, and widely known as the originator of the pack line defense and, it was fascinating for me because when I grew up and I was in high school, all the teams – or, or the, the team that I played on in Hamilton, Ohio, the high school team, is we were a big Indiana motion offense team. And that's how a lot of people were playing back then. And then when I was a young coach, I went to see this clinic by Dick Bennett, and, and he talked about how now he was switching to the pack line defense. And the reason was is that when, when he was – a coach and in, in, in his kind of heyday, most people were running some type of motion offense where you had to swing the ball side to side and ball reversal was everything in terms of generating quality shots. But now as the, the shot clock came in and everybody started to really focus things offensively to drive the ball, he switched to the pack line in an effort to stop people from being able to do what they wanted to do, which was drive the ball. And I thought it was fascinating. It really hit home to me. And so I've been I've been trying to do some form of pack line defense forever because of that. And then it evolved when I was the head um, women's coach at Xavier. Thad Motto was the coach at first, then Sean Miller. And Sean Miller was a big pack line guy. So I really got to observe him a lot and, and have a lot of conversations with him about what they were doing. And then when he left, Chris Mack also, who's currently the head coach at Louisville, he was a big pack line guy, and so uh, it's it's it started with a, a clinic with Dick Bennett, and then it evolved when when I got to see some of these other coaches and what they were doing, and that would sort of be my history with the pack line defense.
0: One thing that I've found in my own personal experience, and then also observing others that coach the pack line, is that everyone has their own version of it. Are are there major or maybe minor differences in your version of the pack line than somebody? that runs a traditional pack line or even like the Dick, Tony Bennett pack line defense.
1: Yeah. I would tell you that uh, one of the differences, I think that where people kind of like kind of vary and deviate what they do is like the ball screen defense, because you can, you can do that a lot of different ways. And um, like, for example, Sean Miller, when he was at um, Xavier and now at Arizona, they, they really keep their ball screen defense very consistent. With a lot of um, in the middle of the floor, what they would call plugging ball screens on the side, they would what they would call hard hedging. Um, I have varied that, like I do a lot more switching, especially with my four players. Um, even even sometimes with our five players, we also um, on the side will will switch between a hard hedge and 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 a jam, um, just to take away the roll or the pick and pop. And then what we do mostly plug in the middle of the floor, but that's, that's one area where people have made adjustments. The other thing is that um, people in recent years who run the pack line have started to get into a little bit of trying to at least push the denial pass further out from the wing to the middle in, in an order to just disrupt offenses a little bit. Um, yet still employing pack line when the ball is in the middle of the floor, if that makes sense. That's Mm -hmm. one thing I've seen some people doing. We haven't done that a lot, uh, but it's something that in recent years I've looked at and could potentially do here in in future seasons to come.
0: I'm going to come back and talk about some of the specific things that you just mentioned. I have some questions that go along with that, but just keeping things general again towards the beginning. Finish this statement for me. When OSU's women's basketball team has had a great night on the defensive end, your team has –
1: Forced the other team into contested jump shots and rebounded the ball. Won the war on the boards in terms of the rebounding differential.
0: Is that something that you practice and emphasize regularly?
1: Something that we practice, emphasize regularly, and chart. So if what what we'll look at at the end of the game, if if because we're playing pack line, we may not have as many steals or deflections as other programs or teams. Sure. Um, but we will, what, we will be trying to force people into contested jump shots where we have not allowed them to drive the ball. And if we've done our job not allowing them to drive the ball, it usually allows our post players to stay on their person and not have to over help because we're getting beat out the dribble so much, which is, allows us to be in better rebounding position.
0: I get the sense that some people for pack line defense, it means in their minds that after you score, you turn around and you sprint back and run back inside of, you know, this 16 foot line, but you have kind of placed a little bit of an emphasis on transition defense. How does your transition defense complement what you guys do on the pack line?
1: Yeah, great question. I, I think like two things. One, you have to have your transition defense connected to how you offensive rebound. And so for us, what we have done is we, generally speaking, send, you know, we number our players on offense, one who's typically the point guard, two, you know, three, who are the, the wing players, four, five, who are the post players, and, and the four may be a, a bigger post player, maybe a smaller post player, um, a little more versatile. So we, we number our people like that on offense. And so when we shoot the ball, generally speaking, we're going to send our three our four, and our five to the offensive boards. Then our one and our two are, on when the shot goes up, they're, they're in a sprint across half court. The first person across half court would, what would be what we call the fullback, and their job is to, to get the basket and cover the basket. The second person across half court, their job would be to somewhere between the three-point line and the, the half-court line, pick up the ball. The three, four, and five who have, who have offensive rebounded, when the other team secures the rebound, their job is to turn around and sprint as hard as they can and to try to get ahead of the ball so we can kind of build walls and start our pack line defense and not allow other people to drive the ball. And then after they've gotten ahead of the ball and they've helped form walls, they point and talk and we get matched up. Um, now, the, the, the one caveat to that is sometimes you'll have the, the one or the two driving the ball and shooting a shot at the basket. Early in my career, what I would do is I would teach the three to make that read and to get back in, in order to kind of take the place of the one or the two because they were at the rim and couldn't get back as a halfback or fullback. But now, what I do is I've placed a little more emphasis on offensive rebounding and saying, hey, if, we, if our one gets all the way to the basket, we either need to make that shot, or if we have our three, four, and five rebounding, and the one got all the way to the rim, we probably force the other team to come help and contest a shot in some way. Then, then we're gonna we're gonna try to get the offensive rebound. And if and if it so happens that um, they get it and we didn't get the offensive rebound, well, then we're just gonna turn around and run back. And we may only have one person back on that possession. It doesn't happen a lot, um, but occasionally that will happen. But I've found over time we we get more offensive rebounds because of that. Than just trying to get to three to read that situation and get back.
0: And then also based off your last answer, do you use your transition defense at all to increase the opportunities for creating turnovers, or does it not really create turnovers? You're just more trying to slow the ball down.
1: Pretty much, um, if we're in true pack line form, we're just getting back and trying to keep the ball out of the paint and transition it away and make sure we get matched up. Now, I will tell you, since I've been at Ohio State, I have implemented off of may baskets and dead balls, more full court pressure, whether it be man-to-man or a zone type of press where we would try to press and create turnovers and steals and then get matched up and play pack line. Um, it's hard to be, you know, all things in terms of, hey, great at pack line, great at, great at pressing and all that. Um, but we have done that a little more in, in women's basketball. I have found that you do have the ability to take people out of a rhythm and disrupt them. And, and, and even if we aren't quite as great at pack line because we had to spend some more practice time on some other concepts. I think it has helped us. And I'm still kind of tinkering with that about how much time to put into at least having a press to use at times. So I'm still kind of reconciling that. And um, that's something that I'm I'm trying to work on this off season. This, this past year, we had a really young team, so we didn't do a lot of it, but in years past at Ohio state, it's been good to us. And I'm still just trying to say, Hey, what's the right balance between putting some full court pressure in but also not taking away from spending time working on our half court principles with the pack line defense.
0: I also want to go back and ask you charting wise outside of the rebounding and then not necessarily emphasizing the turnovers, but still getting stops. Like what other things are you keeping track of charting wise?
1: Like I said, we're charting field goal percentage defense is a really big one for us. That's a that's a big one. Rebounding margin is huge because, like I said, if we're doing the pack on right and we're not allowing people to drive it to the basket and where our where our bigs have to over help, then then that's a really big thing for us. It really helps our rebounding because because when you watch games, a lot of people like the the rebounding becomes a problem when people drive the ball too much and, and post players have to come help and they can't get back to rebound. Uh, we we will also chart charges, how many charges we take per game. We will also chart. We'll have stretches or, or where we'll chart how many times or how many times the other team gets the ball to the paint. Um, we also chart foul differentials because once again, if you're keeping the ball away from the most, most fouls get called around the basket um, or off of an offensive rebounding. So in summary, it's it's um, rebounding differential, field goal percentage defense, how many times the other team gets the ball to the paint foul differentials in charges
0: one thing that i did see i was looking at some of your stats on synergy you guys only gave up like 0. 0.733 points per possession on spot up shots yeah i'm asking all of our guests this primarily to see if there's a consistency or if the pack line coaches use varying methods when it comes to teaching closeouts because I, I think that a lot of coaches they run the pack line they're a little worried about giving up in their minds uncontested threes if guys are too playing too far away right. is that something that you yeah. work on every day and if so even if not what what technique are you teaching to prevent or at least slow down teams from not hitting 10 15 20 threes against your team
1: yeah we now it's a great question we work on closeouts every day in some some way shape form, or fashion and i'm at my best when i'm really emphasizing it with my team no matter what we're doing even if we're not in a closeout drill that that you know we're in a shell drill or we're just playing half court defense we are always emphasizing that now what we're really emphasizing within that is a lot of times, if, if you can kind of just visualize, where we get in trouble with three-point shots is not when our players are truly in the gap and being active in the gap and helping, helping stop drives. It's when they get out of the gap and they get frozen on a drive and they're a little flat and they can't get there to recover. And then specifically to the closeout point, one of the things that we emphasize that if we're doing this well really helps – just bother other teams three-point shots is the high-hand closeout because a lot of people like to close out and with their hands down, which is allowing people to get more uncontested shots from the three-point line. But when you're always closing out with high hands and and you don't have to take your hands from like, you know, low to high at when they do shoot it and they're already at least high, and they're contesting those shots just a little bit easier, a little more efficiently, and a little more consistently. So being in the right position, closing out from the right position and closing out with high hands are two really big things for us that I think allow us to be effective defending the three-point line.
0: Are you teaching short, choppy feet?
1: Short, choppy feet, I I, I say start with a sprint, end with a slide, a slide being short, choppy feet.
0: And the question then I go back to is when are those hands coming up? Are they coming up when the short choppies are starting?
1: You start chopping your feet, your hands are up, and if they're they're shooting, you're contesting.
0: So let's say that the person doesn't do what you just said and starts to get beat off of the dribble post-defense. I'm assuming you're three-quarters on the high side.
1: Three-quarters on the high side, correct.
0: And if somebody starts to get beat, they're in the position to be there to help.
1: Correct. That's right.
0: So I have a specific scenario that my team constantly got beat in And I don't know entirely how to prevent it, but I'm going to give it to you. And then you tell me how you would practice it Mm -hmm. and then how you would help not allow it to happen over and over and over. Okay. I have an offensive player that catches the ball, let's say in like the slot. Yep. And she has a teammate in the strong side corner. Who's a really good shooter. Yep. And then there is an offensive post player on the weak side block. Yep. That ball handler starts to drive towards the outside is the, Defender in the corner, staying on the strong side shooter, or do you have stunting, or what do you do?
1: We would stunt. We would first of all, we would emphasize that the person guarding the ball does not get. We really emphasize not getting beaten straight line drives because if they get beaten a straight line drive, it's really hard for that person in the corner to help.
0: Before you go on, how do you? Let's say the ball came from the other slot, and you have kind of like a an almost an east west sort of closeout. Do you go down into the gap and then? Yep. come back out to the person to prevent that kind of drive, or or what?
1: A little bit, you know. If we start from the right gap, the the right position, we would we would really 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 work on this a lot. And we do we do closeouts on the wing, and we do closeouts in the slot. We do them from the top of the key. We spend a lot of time on this where they would close out and try to force them um, towards the sideline. Okay. And if we're doing it right, once again, and they're not getting a beat in a straight line, I would prefer that they, you know, obviously they don't get beat in a straight line and they get any support from the corner where they're, where they're stunting and recovering and contesting three-point shots. But if they get beat in a straight line and our where, where we get in most trouble is that if our post player has to come help because they got beat in kind of a straight line and are getting to the basket, that's where we really get beat up on the boards. And so that's where we're really trying to keep the ball out of the paint there um, because we will let our post players come make plays on that and obviously try to sync with the opposite wing players onto the post player to support rebounding. But it's just really a tough rebound. And that that's where we we have really gotten in trouble if we're allowing that specific straight line drive. So what we would do um, if we were having that problem, we would, we would spend a lot of time, the balls in, like you said, the east slot going towards the west and they're driving. We're starting with a with, a, with support in the gap there. They're closing out and forcing them to the wing and not getting beat in straight lines, and we're making sure we got the technique right, and we're getting a lot of reps. And then they're dodging and faking and stunning from the corner, and we're keeping that ball out of the paint. And from the corner, after that dodge and fake, they're getting back and they're contesting. That's what we try to Emphasize and, and execute
0: in practice. Are we talking like drills? Are we talking small sided games, three on three? Are you doing five on five and setting up a scenario?
1: We're usually starting with um, smaller two on you know two on two, three on three. Um, I, I usually have a I have a like a really good um, every day. We usually have practice guys. We put put our guys out there, and they're running these drills, and we're we're. Emphasizing what I just said, and we're getting a lot of reps at it. And then when we get to five on five, um, like for in our league, like Iowa runs really good read and react offense, and they get scenarios just like you're saying. And so we're working on it three on three, then we'll put it five on five and get the practice guys running the, the offense. And when we're going three on three, especially and all that, if they're not getting it right, I'm, I'm really fortunate we have a strength coach at our practice every day. If they're not getting the rep right, I send them to the strength coach and they have some type of refocusing. You know, it might be a quick sprint, might be a quick ab workout, but we're really, really emphasizing those scenarios, and then we'll go five on five and, and kind of let it play out and see if we're a little better at it because we had a lot of good reps three on three.
0: Do you play a lot of five on five to emphasize defense?
1: We do, but I usually, I usually break down this exactly what you're saying. If we have a scenario that the other team's going to do or we're having trouble with, we usually break it down. So it may be a scenario like you just described. It, may, it might be a sideline ball screen. With a, with a rise out of the corner. It might be a sideline ball screen with an empty corner, and we're going to break it down three on three, um, and then before we go five on five pretty much every day.
0: I want to go back to the ball screen defense. You've mentioned it a couple of times, but just for people who are wanting me to ask you about it, I will go ahead. You don't do the hard hedge. Is there
1: – On side. Okay. We do – We it up, though.
0: Okay. Okay. So what – Why do you feel – That's best for your team?
1: Well, depending on what the other team's trying to do, like if the other, for example, just um, probably the the easiest way to say, like let's say it's a sideline ball screen and the other team is really good at turning the corner and driving, um, then we're probably going to hard hedge to try to keep the other team out of the paint. Now, let's say um, the other team is really good at, let's say it's a sideline screen with somebody in the corner and they love to drag it off those screens and throw back and either shoot it or they love to drag it off the screen and throw back and throw in. And we're going to expose our post players. If they're out hard hedging, then we may, what we call, I call it fourth because you're the fourth person in the screen, but it's basically a jam where we would jam and take away the role and you would sprint under the screen. It takes away the role for the post player and it also takes away um, the person in the corner doesn't have to tag, like what we call tagging. If you hard hedge and the person there's a person in the corner as they roll, that we call the person in the corner the tagger, where they're kind of tagging the roll while the post player recovers, um, and then they're recovering to their person if they throw back. So if you go, if you jam the screen, then you've taken away the roll and you you've taken away. The, how much the person in the corner has to tag. Now, what you, what you may give up is a three behind the screen, or if your person doesn't slip under very quickly, then you might give up a drive. Or if somebody says they do a UCLA screen where the post player had to show a little bit, then they're sprinting into a sideline screen, it's hard to get back and get that fourth. So we're constantly trying to evaluate what is the other team really trying to get, and then we're trying to take it away. And I will tell you, when we're at our best, we are switching that up out of timeouts in in games so the other team can't get into rhythm especially if they're they're like a real like ball screen motion type team
0: i've asked coaches about this and it seems like they're really stuck on like one or two things i'm more of how you are so you know i'm going to say that's the best way to do it just i mean i even saw you guys in some big 10 tournament games you were had your big guy uh she was dropping and then yes. you were going under if they were not a good shooter and yeah. if they're a good shooter. It seemed like you were going over. So it doesn't seem like you're, you're married to what's effective, not my way or the highway.
1: Yeah. We, that's what I said. Like we, and I've, I've evolved, like when I was, when I was at the head coach of Xavier, now it seems like many years ago we were, we were hard hedging on the side and we were plugging in the middle and that was pretty much it. The other thing the the jamming will do if you have a really good pick and pop post player, it takes away the the pop. So I think it's a good mix up. And like I said, we will, uh, when and we did this, had to do this in a big 10 tournament, a lot of people in the big 10 run sideline ball screens, So you, you have to be good at ball screen defense real else you can get picked apart. Um, the, the, one of the things we were doing in the big 10 tournament is it was people were, were, were setting UCLA screens and then sprinting into sideline screens, which it's hard. If you're showing on that UCLA screen as a post player, to get back and hard hedge or even jam. So we were we were just telling them to yell under, the guards would slip under, assuming it wasn't a great three-point shooter, and then we would kind of, you know, take our coverage from there.
0: I don't want to seem like I'm exposing you with this question, but what what are maybe one or two things that really cause problems for your back line defense?
1: Now, I mean, I think that when when teams can really teams who really reverse the ball cuz you don't you don't get a lot sometimes to slow down ball reversal but teams who really move the ball side to side and then drive where we haven't really um moved as well side to side that's one thing is just if, if they're really moving the ball side to side and then tacking off the dribble and you haven't had a chance to move and get get in those gaps to to clog up those drives that can be a problem the other thing that can be a problem is just an absolute dominant post player because we're playing chin on shoulder, and if they especially are really quick off the quick quick attacking the basket, and we don't have a chance to get down and kind of crowd them, those would be two things that can be really be problematic, because if we have like some big post players, but they're not real real big where they can just stay chin on shoulder and get behind them and bother all those all those shots.
0: You said crowded. Do you do you send a double or is it kind of a group effort?
1: Our base defense would be like we on the pass. We get halfway and attack any dribble.
0: You ever go like all out double or is it just kind of like
1: we we will do that? Yes, especially if it's a great post player and, and we feel like we need to. We will do that. To just to get it out of their hands and make them do something different, yes.
0: I had somebody ask me this one time. They, they wanted me to ask someone that was in a position like you that's recruiting players. Do you recruit to this system, or do you feel like anybody can fit into this?
1: You know, uh, great question. My general philosophy is that we recruit offense and teach defense, and that it's, it's, it's much like I feel like we can teach pretty much anybody to play this. And some people, of course, are going to be better than others, but I do feel like we could fit almost anybody into this. Um, and it's just harder to teach. Once they've gone through high school and all that, you know, we certainly teach we, – we really put a great emphasis on skill development and developing people offensively within how we're going to play systematically. But it's I'd rather have a, a really talented offensive player, as long as they're going to commit to defense and they're going to work hard at it. And invest in it. I feel like we can teach them this system.
0: Do you feel like more at the as you're recruiting? Do you feel like more high schools are running pack line, or are they staying away from it because of the shot clock?
1: Yeah, that's the thing. I I, I get that question a lot. And for states that don't have the shot clock, it's just something you got to got to ask yourself. Um, for if you have the shot clock, I think it's a great defense and, and can be very effective. Um, if you don't, then then I would I would probably you know I would really have to to ask myself those questions whether that's what I wanted to do or not
0: and that was a lot of great information I know people are going to have some questions with this so I really appreciate you coming on here uh, that's coach Kevin McGuff of Ohio State University women's
1: basketball coach
0: Coach thanks again for for coming on and sharing so many great insights with us
1: you got it Tony anytime but
0: a quick timeout podcast is brought to you by 323 sports if you're looking for a team dealer with great prices top of the line apparel and second to none customer service then 323 sports has to be your choice. 323 Sports will do it right for you and your sports program. Visit 323sports.com or contact sales at 323sports.com to get in contact with a team rep today. Just really quickly, if you haven't heard yet about Anchor, it is the easiest way to make a podcast. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will even distribute your podcast to Spotify and Apple Podcasts and other platforms so your show actually gets heard. You can even make money from your podcast, no matter the size of your audience. It really is everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That'll do it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again at the next time out.